Well, hello and salutations, everybody. Uh, so I told you all that I was doing some research and kind of digging in deep to what I'm going to go in discussion about. Um, everybody I know has heard of the Golden State Killer, a serial rapist. Um, this one always kind of hit me close to home, obviously, because I did live in Sacramento and I did live in Rancho Cordova. And then when he was eventually caught, um, I did remember seeing him, um, at, uh, one of the stores that I would go to, you know, grocery shopping. Um, and I, I do remember him because... He did kind of give me the creeps. Um, he was very rude, very short. I, cause I, so short story, basically, we were in a grocery store. I accidentally kind of bumped into him and he was furious. And I remember that because the look in his eyes was very dead and cold and just, it stuck with me. And I didn't know why it stuck with me, but it stuck with me. So this is why I kind of wanted to do some uh, in-depth research about the case. I mean, everybody knows about the case, obviously. You know, it's, it's it was very, you know, popular and stuff. Um, <clears throat> but I kind of want to also, I wanted to dig into his personal and early life as well. Because not a lot was known about that. Um, I mean, everybody knows that he did commit, you know, at least 51 murders. Or, I'm sorry, 51 rapes, 13 murders, and 120 maybe plus burglaries throughout 1974 to 1986. Um, he was basically known in the San Joaquin Valley as the Veselia Ransacker. So, I, a lot of people don't know that or they never made the connection, but I did some research. And I, I did walk, watch a documentary. Um, yeah, he was the Veselia Ransacker before moving to Sacramento where he became known as the East Area Rapist and then eventually moving down to the Santa Barbara, Ventura, Orange County area and uh, becoming the original Night Stalker. Um, so let's just kind of dive into it. I kind of did some research into his early life. So J Joseph uh, D'Angelo Jr., uh, born November 8th, 1945, in Bath, New York, um, he has two sisters and a younger brother. Now, a relative uh, actually reported that Joseph, uh, was a, as a young child, had witnessed the rape of his seven-year-old sister um, by two airmen in a warehouse in West Germany. That is where his family had been, st had been stationed. Um, so, uh, that kind of... Kind of makes you wonder, did that maybe, I mean, any child that sees something like that, that's going to affect him. But that did, did that affect him to a point where he became, you know, a basically serial rapist and um, murderer. Now, one of uh, his sisters had claimed that he was abused by their father while growing up. Now, he never really confirmed that, nor he never really denied it in, in any of the interviews that the police had conducted. So you can't really know for sure. So between 1959 and 1960, uh, D'Angelo had attended Mills Junior High School in Rancho Cordova, which is interesting because my sister um, actually had gone to that uh, junior high school. So he began in 1961. Now this is another connection to him. 
1961, he attended Folsom High School, which is where I graduated. So that was very interesting to learn about. Um, he received his GED certificate, though, in, in 1964. He played uh, school sports. He was on the junior varsity baseball team. Um, and prosecutors kind of dug into the background during this time and, and realized he, he did commit a few burglaries. And, um, I mean, obviously this is not the best thing, but tortured and killed some animals during his teenage years. Now, anybody that knows anything about serial killers, you know... <clears throat> That is a big, big red flag. So in 1964, after he graduated, he joined the United States Navy um, and served for 22 months uh, during the Vietnam War. Um, and beginning when he came back, um, he began attending Sierra College in Rockland. Now, Rockland is not too much far or too much further from where I'm where I'm staying right now I live in Citrus Heights now if anybody knows the Sacramento area it's kind of very close together um it, it basically it's everybody says like in LA it takes 20 minutes basically in Sacramento depending on where you're going it could take about 20 minutes 25 minutes without uh you know traffic and stuff so he eventually uh in at Sierra College uh, graduated with the associate's degree in police science. And then he ended up attending Sacramento University in 1971, where he earned his bachelor's degree in criminal justice. Now, uh, he uh, eventually had an internship. Um, it was a 32-week poli police internship at the police department in Roseville, California. Now, that is fucking scary, because anybody knows Roseville cops, not very nice. At least the ones I've encountered, not very nice. Um, so it kind of fits in with his uh, his demeanor, I guess. Um, so anyway, from May 1973 to August of 1976, uh, Joseph was in charge of the burglary unit um, after he re relocated uh, from Citrus Heights. So he was in charge of the police department burglary unit as he's committing or maybe even just studying how to get away with some of these crimes. Um, he did serve in Auburn uh, at the police department from 1976 to July of 1979, where finally he was actually arrested for shoplifting a hammer and dog repellent, which, if you think about it, a police officer shopping, lifting something like that, like dog repellent, it makes you kind of think, what is he using that for? He did not have a dog at the time. So was he gathering all this information to figure out how to stalk, eventually stalk and rape these people? Um, dog repellent, you might want to know, um, a lot of his victims did have dogs in the house. And that was one of the things that the police officers could never figure out is that these, these people or these women that eventually were um, attacked had dogs in the house, but these dogs never barked or never caused a fuss. So that kind of makes you think uh, he was already planning this in his mind. That's what made me think about it. So he was sentenced to basically six months and six months of probation and then basically fired from the police department. Um, so during that process of being fired, though, uh, Joseph threatened uh, to kill his, his commanding officer, the chief of police, and allegedly stopped his house. So that kind of gives you an insight into what maybe he was thinking. So also, um, everybody wants to know if he was married. Yes, 
he became engaged to a nursing student named Bonnie Caldwell, a classmate at Sierra College. Um, but she had broken it off because he was abusive, manipulative. Um, basically, I mean, after after they broke up, he threatened her with gun in order to force her to marry him. Um, so anyway, they never got married. He eventually married in 1973, though. But that kind of tells you with that first engagement or that first marriage, uh, what kind of person he was. You know, manipulative, abusing, um, demanding. That kind of fits into the uh, East Area raper, Rapists, um, what all the victims had had said about him. So in 1973, he married uh, Sharon, uh, or sorry, Sharon Huddle and Placer. It was actually Loomis. Um, in 1980, they purchased his house in Citrus Heights, which where he was arrested at, where he eventually became, you know, arrested. Um, so Huddle had began, uh, began to see a divorce attorney, though, in 1982. So they had three daughters. Uh, two were born in Sacramento. One was born in Los Angeles. Now, everybody says that because he did take that break for a long period of time before he killed. Um, it, I, 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 I personally believe he was taking that break because he was so consumed with taking care of his family. I mean, think about it. You can't really uh, stalk your victims, do all this type of work that he did in order to be so prepared for all these attacks that, and, and you know, still take care of your family and still provide for your family. Um, so everybody, um, so everybody basically, um, I'm just going to say, all the neighbors that uh, he had lived around, neighbors reported that he was frequently loud and profane. Um, he was always enraged about something. One neighbor actually reported that his family had received a phone message from him threatening to deliver a load of death because their dog would not stop barking. So at the time of his arrest, he was living with his daughter and granddaughter, which is scary enough. Um, so if you want to go back to maybe what he was doing during these times of the attacks, he was actually, so during like the early eighties, no one really knows what he was doing for work at least, but from 1990 until his retirement in 2017, he was a truck mechanic at the Save Mart Markets Distribu Distribution Center in Roseville. Um, so that's kind of scary because at the time when he was working there, I actually worked not even, I would say, maybe 500 feet away from that center. Uh, my office building was literally right across the way from there. So that's kind of scary because the crimes that he committed, I remember watching the documentaries and stuff. And with him calling his victims maybe months after that. And then even there had been at least 16 years at one point that he had called one of his victims and left a voicemail for her. So he's still, you know, doing that. That's, that's creepy. The fact that he was still living in the area and working in the area. So he was still around all his victims and they just never knew. I mean, honestly, like, that, that's scary enough to me. That's what always freaked me out because we did not know who this person was. So let's go back to his earlier crimes when he was the Visalia ransacker. Now, he was the ransacker from 1974 to 1976. Um, so 
that, uh, so basically kind of the first ransacking, um, incident, quote unquote, was on March 19th in 1974, um, where he had stolen $50 approximately in coins from a piggy bank. Now, most of the activities involved, uh, that involved was him basically breaking into houses, rifling through the owner's possessions, scattering the women's underclothes, uh, basically kind of stealing uh, low-value items, um, ignoring, you know, some of the high-end stuff that he could have stolen. Um, things that were basically left in plain sight, such as, you know, wedding rings, diamonds, earrings, jewelry, even bank books that were left out. Um, th- the ransacker would also often uh, arrange or display items in the house, um, such as, you know, piggy banks, coin jars, uh blue chip stamps, uh, historical coins, personal items. Um, it was, it was very odd. Now, multiple same day ransackings were also common, including 12 separate incidences on November 30th, 1974 alone. So think about that at that time. I mean, how was this guy just getting in and out? So the common MOs for these burglaries um, kind of included climbing the fences, moving through a uh, route such as parks, um, ditches, trails, um, attempting to pry open multiple points of entries, particularly the windows, um, leaving multiple points of escapes, um, basically removing window screens onto the beds or into the bedrooms, um, wearing gloves, so obviously not leaving any type of uh, fingerprint evidence. So that's kind of a telltelling sign, too, that someone knows what they're doing. Now, remember, during that time, he was working for the police department in the burglar, uh, burglary, uh, basically, you know, uh, section. So basically, uh, Sacramento police was basically paying him to learn how to be a better criminal. And that is scary enough. So... Back on September 11th, ooh, scary, 1975, uh, he had broken into a house um, of the Claude Snelly on Whitney Lane. Um, he, Snelly, was a journal- journalism professor at a college and had previously chased a prowler from his, daughter, from his daughter's bedroom um, back on February 5th, 1975. So now think about that. That time that uh, Joseph was basically stalking this family, um, that is a long period of time. So on September 11th, he had uh, woken up about 2 a.m. And upon leaving his bedroom, he ran through an open back door and confronted a ski mask intruder in his carport, attempting to kidnap his daughter, who had been basically subdued with threats of being stabbed or shot. So basically she's made to be quiet. Now think about that. The ski cap, the ski mask, that is a signature of what the East Area Rapist was known for. So eventually, uh, basically, um, Snelly was then shot twice and, you know, went back into the house and died. So that is basically his first victim, Joseph D'Angelo's first victim. Um, now, Think about that. That's that's very creepy. So anyway, that's just that's just one of the many incidences, and you can just kind of kind of understand how he was progressing 
to become, you know, basically this is like a blueprint of how you start off small and then eventually, you know, go from a rapist to eventually murdering people. Now, if everybody remembers, uh, ever, everybody knows the East Area Rapist in Sacramento uh, was around from 1976 to 1979. Um, he mostly centered on uh, the areas of Carmichael, Citrus Heights, uh, Rancho Cordova, obviously East Sacramento, um, and basically all of these neighborhoods uh, were usually was always uh, basically a one-story home uh, near a school, a creek, or a trail. Anything that provided him with a quick escape, um, and that's scary enough. Um, so basically, he would target these women that were home alone, uh, either with their children or without their children, um, he eventually started attacking the couples. Now, what I, what I found most interesting is because Sacramento was having all these, uh, you know, kind of like police uh, community, um, you know, gatherings to try to see, you know, what they could do to, to combat this, trying to set the, you know, everybody at ease. Um, but one man had stood up during one of those, um, community, uh, outreaches and said, um, you know, I would like him. He never attacks people or women that have a husband there or have someone there. And then next week, that's when he attacked that family. So obviously he was in that, uh, gathering and eventually he would, you know, basically, Forced the female to tie up her her husband or the male. Um, and then he would separate the couple. And he would always stack the dishes onto the male's back to make sure that if he heard those dishes rattling, he knew, uh, you know, that man was trying to get free. Um, and that's just crazy. I mean, think about how sick that is and how much, like, how much terror you would be in. I mean, eventually... He had racked up over 51 rapes just in this area. I mean, his first uh, known attack was uh, June 18th, 1976. That was in Rancho Cordova. Next one, June 19th, 76, or July 19th, I'm sorry. Carmichael, again, August 29th, 76, Rancho Cordova. September 4th, Carmichael. So he's kind of doing a pattern where he's going from Rancho, Carmichael, Citrus Heights, Carmichael, Rancho, like, he's, obviously, there is a pattern there. Um, eventually, he made his way down to, obviously, Stockton, Modesto. There was Davis, San Ramon, San Jose. It, it just, it, no one really made the connection because in that time, no police departments were really talking to each other. Now, he eventually made his way, obviously, to become the original net stalker from 1979 to 1986. Now, his first uh, kill uh, as the original Night Stalker was on July 5th, 1979. Uh, and he struck in Santa Barbara uh, County. So, basically, he was, he was either uh, bludgeoning his victims to death or he shot his victims. Um, it's, it's just very odd that he went through all these different... You know, kind of like going from being the burglar to being a rapist to eventually becoming a killer. And then 
the thing that always really got me, like I said, he would call his victims. There was, hold on, let me find my notes on this because I did write down because it was extremely scary to me. Um, so one of his victims was working at, um, basically working at a, like a Denny's or some type of place like that. Um, and that, this was like four years after, um, the, you know, the rape. Um, so he had called her and said, you looked really good today. Now, what does that mean? That's creepy. So he was still, after he was attacking these women, still stalking them. Now, how effing scary is that? Even, I remember listening to the recordings and it made my blood just go cold. Like, it gave me chills. My hair stood up. That's how freak freaky it was. And I can't imagine the victims, you know, going home and hearing that on their answering machines. How effed up is that? Um, yeah, but I mean, I just wanted to get that out there. Like, I know it, it, it's kind of, for me, because I live in Sacramento, it kind of hits close to home. And because I did have that one encounter with him, because it, it left such an imprint on me. Because I remember during that time, it was, I think, like the 30-year anniversary or 25th, or something like that. So there was a lot of specials on TV, like 48 Hours, you know, Dateline, stuff like that. I remember watching it, and I'm like, man, like, this is this is creepy. It creeped me out. And the fact that nobody knew who he was was even creepier. And then to know that he was still in the area all that time and still stalking some of his victims that he had assaulted years ago, and just acting like nothing ever happened. And he was creepy. Like I said, I remember I accidentally bumped into him. And he, I, you know, I did say, I'm sorry. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, excuse me. And just the, he didn't even say anything to me. Just the look in his eyes. He was like, basically like, get away from me. Or like, it almost felt like he was seeing through me. It, it was, it was very strange. And I can't imagine what these people had to go through. Um, so anyway, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, you know, I did some, some good thorough research on this and, um, yeah, I hope everybody has a, uh, good week. Luckily we are out of the heat wave now that we had here for two weeks here in Sacramento and I'm still laid up with my broken foot. Hopefully I'll be going to work here pretty soon. Uh, all right. Well, everybody have a great day and a great weekend.